Uh, it's such a great joy to be with you all uh, this morning. And those who, for those who are with us uh, for the first time this year, uh, would like to welcome you back. Uh, now, please open your Bibles to the book of Revelation, and we are looking at uh, Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, and we'll be reading uh, from verse 8 through 11. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, and it reads, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last, who died and came to life. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, if there is one thing that humans find hard to accept or tolerate, it is suffering. If there is one word that people fear the most, that people are scared of, it is the word suffering. Many would agree that there are a lot of good things or even virtues that come as a result of suffering. But they wish there was a way to receive them without having to face the process of suffering. When they are already facing the process, some find fault in God. They start believing that God is not in control. They believe that if, he's in, if he is in control, then he doesn't understand what they are going through or he doesn't care. They want him to prove that he cares by solving their problem as soon as possible. Those who do not blame God, they desire to hear comforting words. Most people who are facing suffering or difficult times, they will tell you how comforting it is to hear someone saying everything is going to be okay. For some, those words are even better when they come from the pastors because then they believe that it definitely comes from the Bible. For that reason, many pastors have taken that advantage and centered their ministry on promising struggling people that things are going to be okay or on telling them that it will get better. This morning, however, I would like us to learn how to correctly endure suffering, both as individuals and as a church. Revelation 2, verse 8 through 11 will help us see four truths we need to remind ourselves when we face suffering. When we face suffering, we need to remind ourselves, one, that Jesus is in control. Two, that Jesus knows our struggles. Three, that Jesus calls us to faithfulness. And four, that Jesus promises us eternal victory. 
Let's look at our first point. Jesus is in control. Revelation 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. Last week we looked at the city of Ephesus. We saw how important that city was under the Roman Empire. We also saw how idolatrous that city was and how that affected the church in that place. I believe it became clear from that uh, book that we read last week that the environment will always affect the church. But the most important thing is how the church responds. This morning, we are looking at the city of Smyrna and the church that was in that place. Like Ephesus, Smyrna was one of the most important cities under the Roman Empire. It was also made a free city because of its loyalty as it sided with Rome during her difficult periods. This city was known for its beauty and civic pride. This city, it also flourished in science and medicine. In addition to that, Homer, that Greek poet who has always been considered as the greatest of poets, was born in that city. Smyrna was the, was the first city in Asia to erect a temple for the goddess Roma. Later on, because of its loyalty to Rome, this city was preferred over about 10 other cities as it won the privilege of building the first temple in honor of the Emperor Tiberius. This is the city that has a rich history. In fact, out of the seven cities that we see in the book of Revelation, it is the only city that has survived and continued to the present day. This city is in modern day Turkey and is called Izmir. Now the people of Smyrna took pride in their history and the church in, this, in that area struggled, partly because it did not form part of that history. In fact, the teachings of the church were against their traditions and their religions. Now in verse 8, Jesus describes himself and he calls himself the first and the last. The city of Smyrna was first in a lot of things as we have already seen. So the city decided to call itself the first in Asia. Obviously, the church in this city was aware of the history of the city. They knew the identity of the city. They saw the success of the city and they felt the oppression from the city. In their eyes, there was no way out. All they saw in front of them was a powerful city that was against them. They were certainly hopeless as they were facing this giant city that was giving them hard times. However, in those difficult times, Jesus commanded John to write a letter to this church. And as he was already, or as we have already seen, Jesus describes himself as the first and the last. In the city, there was claiming superiority. In the city, that believed it was ahead of everyone. In the city, there was threatening the church of Jesus. Jesus himself declared that he was the preeminent one. In the city, there was boasting about the first in Asia. Jesus came and said, I am the first and the last, meaning I am the one who is in control. In the book of Isaiah, calling Israel to trust in him, God told Israel that he was the one who steered up and gave victory to Cyrus, who was the king of Persia as he conquered the enemies of Israel. And in Isaiah 41 verse 4, he said, who has performed and done this, 
calling the generations from beginning. I, the Lord, the first and with the last, I am He. In chapter 44, God assured His chosen nation that He was and still is the only God. In Isaiah 44, verse 6 to 8, says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel and His Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me. Since I appointed an ancient people, let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from of old and declared it, and you are my witness? Is there a God beside me? There is no rock. I know not any. Now, as you see in the Old Testament, when God was calling his people to trust him, showing them that he was greater than the enemies that were threatening them, he reminded them that he was the sovereign God. And one way he did that, it was by proclaiming that I am he who is the first and the last. Now this is what Jesus was doing in the church of Smyrna. He was telling them that he is a sovereign God. Therefore, he was calling them to trust him. The city was overpowering the church of God, but the city was no match to the sovereign God. Friends, this is what we must remember when things are not going well for us. Our Lord is in control. Jesus has not lost his power. Our king can never be dethroned or defeated. Jesus also reminded the church of Smyrna that he is the one who died and came to life. Now, around year 600 BC, Aliates, the king of Lydia, destroyed the city of Smyrna. For over 300 years, this city was left desolate. But when Alexander the Great became the king of the Greek kingdom, he ordered that the city should be rebuilt. His successors built the city around 290 BC. Now, looking at that history, this city declared itself as the city that had died and resurrected. They declared themselves as the city that has died and came back to life. Now, again, this was a problem for the church that was, that was oppressed by the city. In the eyes of this church, this city was undefeatable. Since it was previously destroyed but came back to life, there was no way the city would destroy it. There was, or rather, the church would destroy it. There was no hope that this small church would even survive, especially if they were not willing to compromise. However, Jesus showed them that true death and true resurrection was experienced by him. Having already shown the church that he is sovereign, as we saw earlier, his death and resurrection meant God had a plan. Jesus' death and resurrection were not a fluke and a meaningless occurrence like that of the city of Smyrna. Jesus' death and resurrection means God has dealt with the greatest problem that humanity has faced. Jesus has dealt with the problem of sin. Jesus has dealt with the problem of evil. And that is what Jesus wanted the church to know. He has always been in control, and Jesus is still in control. Beloved, this might not be a magic formula that we'd like to hear, but it is important to not only to know that Jesus is a plan, but also to believe it. 
in situations that do not make sense for us as individuals or as a church, God has a plan. This suffering church had to remember who Jesus was so that she may have to look to him doubtlessly. And this is what we must do. Whenever we face suffering, whenever we face difficult times, we must remember who Jesus is. We must remember that he is the God who is sovereign over all. He is in full control so that we may look to him. Jesus is in control. And that takes us to our second point. Jesus knows our struggles. Let us look at our text. Revelations 2. Verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. In the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. The church in Smyrna was facing these three things that Jesus spoke about here. They were facing tribulation. They were facing poverty and they were facing slander. The members of this church were oppressed by the people of the city. They were not dealing with a mere rejection. It is not that people did not like the church, so they left them as they were. It is not that people saw them as wet people and avoided them. Instead, people were making them to suffer for being Christians. People were targeting them. People were persecuting them. People were intentional in making their lives hard. This is what the church was facing. As we have said, when people face challenges and suffering, they are tempted to think Jesus does not care. They believe if he cares, then they should not struggle or suffer. That is probably how some of the people faced or felt as they faced this tribulation. What do we say in a situation like that? Now, a few years ago, I heard a lady talking to a friend on the phone. Obviously, I couldn't hear a friend, but based on the responses of the lady, I could tell what the topic was about. The friend was telling this lady about her struggles. She was having serious problems in her life. It was not a small problem or even one problem but there were a lot of challenges that the lady was facing. Now, that friend was facing different and difficult struggles, and the lady was trying to help her by giving her advices or encouragement. The lady was trying to help, ended up not knowing what to say or how to help her friend. So she said, ah, my friend, when last did you go to church? Maybe you should just go to church, and that would solve all your problems. Now, the lady believed that going to church would ease her friend's struggle. For her, the church was a final solution to her friend's problem. According to her, although her friend was not facing religious problems, but she needed a religious solution to deal with her problems. And I'm using the word religious in a positive sense in this context. She was not suffering because of religion, but religion was going to help her. That is according to her friend. Now friends, here in the book of Revelation, we see the entire church struggling, meaning going to church was never going to help because that is the reason they were struggling. The entire church was facing tribulation. 
In the church of Mina, we see a problem that is called that is caused by being religious. Like this lady, there are a lot of people who believe being religious in a positive sense, like going to church and being a believer will exempt you from tribulations and will make things better for you. But what we see here in the book of Revelation is the entire church struggling. There are believers, or these are believers, who faithfully proclaim the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we see them suffering here. In fact, the reason they were suffering is that they believed in Jesus Christ. The reason they were targeted is because they were Christians. Now, beloved, if you come to Christ so that you will avoid suffering in this world, if you come to Christ so that your life will be easy, you have misunderstood the biblical Christ. If you go to church so that you won't face problems, you have misunderstood the purpose of the church. The church in Smyrna would have avoided suffering if they didn't follow Christ. The church in Smyrna would have had an easy life if they didn't follow Christ. Their environment was kind to those who didn't follow Christ. But following Christ made things difficult for them. They were persecuted because they were followers of Jesus Christ. So contrary to popular belief, when we proclaim Christ to people, we are not calling them to trouble-free life. Instead, we are calling them to cross-carrying life. Beloved, it was a good thing that the church of Mina faced tribulation because that proved that they were identifying with Jesus Christ, not the sinful people of the city. John 15 verse 19 says, If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The church faced tribulation because they were hated by the world, not because they were abandoned by Jesus. The tribulations the church of Smyrna faced was not the proof that Jesus didn't care, but it was a result of living in the fallen world that hates Jesus. And that is what we will face if we really want to be faithful to Jesus Christ. After showing the church that he was still sovereign and he was still in control, Jesus showed them that he cared. He said, I know your tribulations. Now, Jesus was not talking about intellectual, intellectual knowledge here. He was talking about intimate relational knowledge. Jesus was not saying, I'm omniscient, therefore I know what you are going through. As true as that is, but Jesus was saying, I care, therefore I know what you are going through. Jesus was also identifying with the suffering church, having experienced worse suffering than the members of this church. Jesus was despised and forsaken. He was rejected and alone when he suffered and died. But to his people, he said, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is what Jesus was reminding the church in Smyrna, that they were not alone. Beloved, I can't promise you that we will not suffer or face tribulations, but I can promise you that we will never be alone. The caring Jesus knows what we go through and he will always be with us. That is what Jesus was trying to show the church in Smyrna. 
The persecution in the church in Smyrna faced was so severe that it left them in poverty. One man talking about the persecution and poverty the church of Smyrna faced said, no one would do business with them. They would not give Christians a chance. It wasn't that Christians were bad or dishonest people. In fact, they were great people. But because they didn't conform to the culture and worship of the day, because they had different ethical standards, because they lived differently, they were discriminated against and ended up losing almost everything. This church suffered not because of their laziness. This church suffered not because they neglected their duties. This church suffered not because of its arrogance or evil, but because of Jesus Christ. They didn't make dodgy deals to survive. They didn't compromise their Christian standards to survive. They didn't say, church is church, work is work, therefore when I'm in church, I'll be faithful, but when I'm at work, I have to do what everyone is doing. That is not what this church said. They chose to suffer rather than to neglect godliness. Beloved, to suffer lost for Christ or for Christ's sake is not a vice but a virtue. Sometimes we might be happy that we are not persecuted and things are going well in our lives, not realizing that the world is not worried about us because we look like it. Therefore, we ought to examine ourselves. The church would rather suffer and be poor than celebrate riches in a place where Christ is blasphemed. As a Christian, do you have that conviction? Beloved, if true Christians are arrested for Christ, you can't be happy that you are not arrested like them. If true Christians are killed for Christ, you can't be happy that you are still alive. Because that may be a sign that people do not see you as a Christian at all. Sadly, these days we are happy when people of the world give us flattering remarks like, you know, you are not like other Christians. You are fun, you are tolerant, and you are open-minded. And you are happy. Beloved, you should not receive that as a compliment. They are trying to tell you that you do not look or live like a Christian. So you cannot be happy if you receive those compliments. True Christians are not like the world. It is for that reason that the church in Smyrna suffered and became poor because they did not want to look like the world. They refused to look like the world. However, even though they were in material poverty, Jesus said, you are rich. That was their true status before God. Their status in the world was emptiness, but their status before God was different. In Christ, they had what money cannot buy. Sin made us enemies with God, but Christ has reconciled us to God and adopted us as his children. Money cannot buy that. Sin made us uh, our slaves of our deceitful hearts, our evil desires, and our unruly tongues. But in Christ, we were washed, we were justified, and we are being sanctified. Money cannot buy that. Sin made us idolaters who are full of greed and covetousness. But Christ has taught us that one's life does not consist in the abundance of his position. Friends, it is not wrong to be rich, but it is sinful to prefer riches over Christ. 
If you have Christ but no material riches, you have everything you need. If you have Christ plus material riches, you are not better than someone who has Christ only. But if you have material riches without Christ, then you have nothing. The city of Smyrna had all the material riches, but the church in Smyrna had Christ. And for that reason, Jesus himself said the church was rich. Now, one other thing we see is that the church also faced slander from the Jews. According to James Hamilton, the slander in view here has to do with Jews denouncing Christians to the Romans. Now, Romans were polytheist, meaning they worshipped many gods or idols. When Rome conquered a city, they added the gods of the city to their idols, and they also compelled the people of the city they conquered to worship their idols. Everyone who refused to bow to the idols of Rome was killed. Now Jews were monotheist. They believed the truth that there is one God, Yahweh, and they were so stubborn and not willing to serve idols. So Rome exempted the Jews and allowed them to serve their God. The Jews were the only ones who were exempted from worshipping Roman gods, and that's obviously because of God's providence. Now, I believe you know that Jesus and his disciples were Jews. So when Christianity and the church began, it consisted of Jewish people. For that reason, Rome saw Christianity as a branch of Judaism. However, as we see in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, many Jews rejected Jesus Christ as their Messiah. So Judaism and Christianity were not the same, even though Rome didn't know that. Now, Jews who rejected Christ started denouncing Christians. They started speaking bad things about Christians and telling Rome that Christians were not part of their religion. That is the slander the church faced. Obviously, that meant Christians were no longer going to benefit from Jewish exemption. Instead, they started facing persecution and tribulation as we see in our passage. As now you see, beloved, there is nothing the church in Smyrna faced that Jesus was ignorant of. Jesus said, I know what you are going through. Jesus knew suffering they were going through. Jesus understood every difficulty they were facing. Jesus was mindful of every single detail as he was watching over this struggling church. Brothers and sisters, be encouraged. Jesus has never stopped caring for his people. In the last part of verse 9, Jesus assured them that those who were involved in slander were not real Jews, but they were the synagogue of Satan. Now this is scary. These people were biological Jews. They could trace, or they could trace their uh, lineage from Abraham. But Jesus said they were not part of God's people. What was Jesus showing them? Jesus was showing them that he is the only door. Jesus was showing them that he is the only gate. Jesus was showing them that he is the only way. Jesus was showing them that he is the only access. It is impossible to have a relationship with God outside him. 
You might be a pastor's kid. You might have grown up in church. You might have a believing friends and family. But salvation is not a group project where one wise head writes and submits and we all get benefit just because we were there. We must individually believe in Christ lest we be like these Jews who thought they were faithful Jews only to find out that they were actually the synagogue of Satan. If we believe in Jesus, we are part of redeemed people of God and we must be encouraged by the fact that Jesus knows our struggles. This leads us to our third point. Jesus calls us to faithfulness. Let us look at our text. Revelations 2, verse 10. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. And for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death. Earlier, we spoke about our desire to hear encouraging words whenever we face suffering. We said, if the pastor says everything is going to be okay, that becomes a great encouragement in our minds. It makes us believe that the difficulties we are facing will be over soon. So we become willing to hang on for a little while. Surely, it would be a great thing if Jesus would say that. However, looking at verse 10, that is not what Jesus says. Why? Because saying that would be a lie. Friends, always be careful of misrepresenting God. I have a good friend who really loves the Lord. Now, uh, the friend of mine, uh, one thing I've noticed about him is that almost always after telling me about the difficulties he's facing, he says, God will make it okay. Man. The only thing he wants from me at that time is that confirmation, is that yes. Now the only problem I have is that if I say yes and things end up getting worse, I have misrepresented God. In fact, I've heard arguments from head people who now say God doesn't exist. You ask them why you say that. One says, mom was sick and the pastors came and they prayed. They told me that God loves me and he loves my mom. So because of that, my mom would be okay. But my mom died afterwards. So it's either God does not love me or he doesn't exist. Do you see where the problem is? We must be careful how we encourage others. I know most of the time we mean well, but we are not doing well when we use our wishes as God's promises. Saying, I pray your mom gets better is better and correct than saying, don't worry, God will definitely heal your mom. But most of the time, people prefer the second statement because it is more appealing to those who are suffering. That is what they want to hear. However, we ought to be careful of misrepresenting God by confidently declaring what God has not promised. In verse 10, as we see, Jesus did not give this church false hope. They probably wanted to hear a little lie that would have given them hope of survival. 
But as if he was pouring salt on the wound, Jesus said, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. Some would even die, meaning it is going to be worse. That is not what you want to hear when you are suffering or when you are struggling. Jesus said it is going to be worse. Beloved, Jesus was not trying to discourage them. Instead, he wanted them to face the truth so that their response would be based on truth. If you've had a very sick member in your family, you will probably relate to this. As difficult as it is, it is better when a medical practitioner tells you that this person will not survive. You appreciate that because you spend those last moments in a different way than you would have if the medical practitioner lied and said, don't worry, everything will be okay. Friends, when we lie to people in the name of encouraging them, we are not helping them. Instead, we make it difficult for them to face reality. By telling this church that they were going to suffer more, Jesus was preparing them. By telling this church that they were going to suffer more, Jesus was showing them the cost of following him. By telling this church that it was going to, they were going to suffer more, Jesus was calling them to faithfulness. Jesus showed this church that faithfulness is enduring to the end. Faithfulness is not trusting Jesus just to get out of a difficult situation. Faithfulness is not being on Jesus' side just because you believe things will be right. Faithfulness is not a way of manipulating God. Faithfulness is not obeying some commandments of God so that he may deliver you from what you are going through. But faithfulness is loyalty to Jesus, even if it means you suffer until you die. Faithfulness is loyalty to Jesus that does not depend on you getting your desired result. Faithfulness is not a promise of deliverance. Jesus did not say, be faithful and you will be safe. He said, be faithful even if it leads to death. Friends, we are not called to subscribe to conditional faithfulness. Oh God, if you heal me from this chronic disease, I will study your word every day and I will tell everyone about you. Lord, if I pass this semester, I will share the gospel with all my classmates. Friend, you are called to be faithful even if you fail all your conscience. You are called to be faithful in your deathbed. You must stand still or you must persevere and say Christ is king even when you are dying. We are not called to conditional faithfulness. The church in Smyrna was called to be faithful in the face of death. They were not even suffering because of their dreams, but they were suffering because of Jesus Christ. They were suffering because they were proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were suffering because they trusted the truth of Jesus Christ. They were suffering because they stood firm and proclaimed that Jesus is the only one who saves. Jesus is the only one who is the Lord. They suffered because of them. Now those who have an interest in church history will know that years after this letter was written, a bishop from this church known as Polycarp did exactly what this letter commanded. Polycarp was a disciple of John the, the Apostle, the same John who wrote this book of Revelation. Polycarp was faithful unto death. 
an eyewitness wrote a letter to another church in the area telling them about the martyrdom of Polycarp. The letter shows a conversation between Polycarp and the proconsul of Rome before Polycarp was killed. Now the letter reads as follows. The proconsul asked him whether he was Polycarp. On hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, saying, have respect of your old age, swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say, down with atheist. So they called Christians atheists because they were, they were refusing to serve the gods of Rome. Now Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heaven multitude in the stadium and gesturing toward them, he said, down with the atheist. Swear, urged the proconsul, reproach Christ and I will set you free. Then Polycarp declared, 86 years have I served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul said, I have white animals here. I will throw you to them if you do not repent. Polycarp replied, call them. It is unthinkable for me to repent from what is good, to turn to what is evil. I will be glad, though, to be changed from evil to righteousness. Proconsul said, if you despise animals, I will have you burned. Polycarp replied, replied, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour, and it is then as you wished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. Then Polycarp was killed. He was faithful unto death. Now, like the church in Smyrna and Polycarp, amid tribulations and suffering, the Lord calls us all to be faithful, even if it leads to death. Which leads us to our last point. Jesus promises us eternal or everlasting victory. Let us look at our text, Revelations 2, verse 10 to 11. And I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Now, in the games that were played in Smyrna, those who were victorious would get a crown that was also known as the gallant wreath. These crowns were not for everyone, but those who were victorious. These crowns were not for those who merely participated, but for those who, because of hard work and discipline, won the games. Now, as we have seen, Jesus calls his people to be faithful. Without faithfulness, we will not be victorious. It is only those who persevere to the end who are conquerors. According to Jesus, true victory would only be received by those who persevere. And these are the ones who will receive the crown that Jesus is talking about in the book of Revelation. The gallant wreath or the crown that those who played the games in Smyrna received were just flowers that faded after some time. But Jesus here promises those who persevere to the end an eternal crown that does not fade. Jesus promises those who are faithful the crown of life eternal. Although the city of Smyrna and the Roman Empire inflicted a lot of pain on these Christians, Jesus promised them God's vindication. Jesus' promise to Christians is that you will have a last love. 
Jesus promised to Christians is that you will have eternal victory. So, as John Mark once said, the most important thing Christians or for Christians is not to stay alive, but it is being faithful to Jesus. Jesus doesn't want us to just stay alive. He calls us to be faithful and to leave everything else to Him. He will give us life. If you ask a lot of people who are struggling right now how they are, they'll say, at least I'm alive. Now friends, there is not a problem if what they mean is amid all difficulties we have survived. But it is a, pro it is a problem if they mean the main thing is remaining alive. If Polycarp believed that the main thing is remaining alive, he was going to deny Christ. If the church of Smyrna believed that the main thing is remaining alive, they were not going to be faithful unto death. Therefore, remaining alive is not the most important thing. But being faithful to Christ is the most important thing. In Acts 21, when Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem, Agabus, the prophet, prophesied that Paul was going to be arrested. Then Luke and those who were with him tried to beg Paul not to go to Jerusalem. In Acts 21, 13, Paul responded by saying, What are you doing? Weeping and breaking my heart. For I am ready not only to be imprisoned, but even to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Paul believed being faithful to Christ was greater and better than staying alive. The promise of eternal victory is for those who esteem faithfulness to Christ above remaining alive in this present age. Friends, we cannot avoid the first death, but if Christ is who we live for, we will avoid the second death, which is eternal destruction. This world is passing and all that is in it. If persecution, poverty, and slander keep you awake and causes you to focus on Christ, then they are better than the riches of this fleeting world. As the missionary Charles Dart put it in his famous quote, only one life, it will soon be passed. Only what is done for Christ will last. The church in Smyrna suffered for Christ and Christ promised them eternal life. Beloved, I know when we go through persecution, we just want God to help us come out of it. When we are sick, we just want healing. When we go through lack, we just want provision. The list goes on and on. All these things that we want are good for us, but in this world, they are temporary. Jesus promises us something eternal. He promises us the eternal crown. Jesus doesn't want us to be short-sighted. Because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, we have eternal victory. Therefore, we should be willing not only to live for him, but also to die for his truth. Romans 8, 18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Friends, Jesus is in control and he knows what we are going through. Jesus calls us to faithfulness and promises us eternal victory.
our great God. Lord, we are so thankful for you love us so much to tell us the truth, that Lord, sometimes what we are scared of, what we are trying to avoid, we are going to face. But Lord, even as we face it, you are telling us in your word how we ought to deal with it. We do pray, therefore, Lord, that you may help us to remind ourselves always when we face difficult times that, Lord, you are in control. Help us, Lord, to remain faithful, Lord, amid suffering. Help us to, Lord, love you, to prefer, oh God, your truth, oh Lord, rather than anything else. Oh Lord, we are so thankful that, Father, uh, even though we may suffer in this world, even though, Lord, we may go through a lot of things, but you have promised us eternal victory. Lord, we do pray that you may help us to cling to this truth, oh Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.